I'm going to read Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9 from the ESV. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had said to him, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negev. Morning, y'all. It's good to see everybody. This morning, we're going to talk about one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. It's about one of the most important people in the entire Bible, and it is going to stress, going to teach the most important thing you and I can do in the Bible. So what I'm trying to say is it's an important text, okay? (laughs) Just heighten that expectation a little bit. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes faith and Christianity can get complicated. It can, you can start to get kind of sidetracked on all these different issues, right? Like uh, for some of us, that's theological ideas or philosophy or the big ideas kind of trick us up and we're, we're caught in that maze. For some of us, it's obedience. We're trying to punch every box. We show up to every MC and every DNA and we volunteer for everything and, and we read our Bibles in the morning and pray and give and evangelize. You know, we do it all. We're trying to do it all. And these are really good things. They're really good things, but sometimes we can lose the purpose behind them, right? Like, I don't know if this is just me, but have you ever gone into a room in your house, another room in your house to get something, and you get there and you forget why, why you even went there? Yeah. It's bad for me. The other day, this week, I went out to the garage to get something really quick. I told Hannah, I'll be right back. And an hour later, an hour later, I finished organizing the garage I fixed Hannah's taillight, and I was like, why did I go out here? Because I, lo- I lost sense of purpose, right? I had to go back inside and say sorry to Hannah. I think this happens a lot in, in our Christian lives. We, we feel called by God to go towards him, and somewhere along the way, we lose sight of what he called us to. We lose the purpose of it. We're busy. We're doing things but we've lost maybe his heart in it. So this morning, I want to try to clarify and simplify things uh, as much as I possibly can. I want to go back to just the first principles of Christianity here. First principles being, what is the essential foundational truth that everything else is built on top of? Okay? And more specifically, I want to ask, what is the first principle for us? 
What does the Bible want from us? What does God want from us? Whether if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus and you're a skeptic or you got dragged here by a friend, what does God want for you? And if you've been following Jesus for 50 years, what does God want for you? The Bible gives a lot of things that God wants. If you read it, you will see commands and charges and, and encouragements over and over and over again. But what's the foundation? What's the, what's the base layer to it? That's what I want to figure out today. <clears throat> this, is, this is what I would say. On God's mission of filling the earth with his glory, that's why everything exists, filling the earth with his glory, he has one call, one central foundational call for his people. Faith. Faith. Everything else in the Christian life is built on top of faith. Did you know that? Would you have said that if I, I, I wanted to just pass out like a pop quiz? Faith. You can't have the Christian life without it. That's why I think the Bible talks about amazing things being done without faith as being worthless. And even the smallest, simplest acts of faith being so remarkable. Think about the, the widow that... Uh, um, that gives in Jesus' story, right? She just puts a couple cents into the offering and Jesus goes, that is the best gift I've gotten. That was the sweetest thing that ever went into that basket. Not the rich guy's gift, not all these other gifts, that gift. Why? She gave out of faith. So this is, this is my goal for today. I have two questions that I'm gonna try to answer and then we'll just apply it a little bit. Question number one, what is faith? can be kind of mystical. What is faith? Question number two, what fuels faith? What compels it? So I'm going to pray, ask God for help, and then we'll jump in. Lord, I want this morning to be so clarifying for people. I pray that for, for people in this room right now who feel caught in, in a haze, aimless, for people who feel discouraged, that you would remind them to trust in you, to put their faith in you. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us to give our lives to you again. If there are people here, Lord, who are not trusting in you right now, I pray that you would get their hearts today. And Lord, I pray that I would be honoring to you in everything I say. My, my mouth was given to me to declare the praises of God to spread your message. Well, that's why I, I can speak, and I want to speak that way now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis 12. If you missed last week, we're jumping back into the book of Genesis. So last fall, we went through Genesis 1 through 11, creation, Noah, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then now we're going to start a new series going through the life of Abraham. It's going to be super, super awesome. And Sam kicked this off last week, so he really dove into who is Abraham, what is the call, like he, he got into the weeds here, and so if you missed that, go on the website, check it out, there's tons of, tons of uh, great stuff last week. But just the quick overview is that Abraham is considered the father of the nation of Israel, Israel is, exists because of Abraham, and the Bible tells us that Abraham is the father of all who believe. So if you're a Christian, he's your father too. Let's, we're going to look at the first major moment in his life together. Let's read. I'm going to read Genesis 12, 
verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, it's also Abraham, later he, he becomes Abraham, so if I mix those up, the same person. Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So this is a short little verse, right? But it's super massively significant. Abraham lived in the ancient Near East. So uh, very far from us here, both in geography and in timeline. Thousands of years ago in a completely different place. That culture cared a whole lot about family, about heritage, about your household, about your name. Way more than here, right? That's way different than the Western kind of individualized society we live in. Your, your family and your people gave you safety and comfort and prosperity and meaning and significance. And so what does God call Abraham to do? Leave your country, your kindred, and your father's house. Three concentric circles here. His immediate family and his home, that's the father's house. His extended family and community, that's the kindred, and his country and nation. Why? I can't read the Bible with just every four words. going like, why? <laughs> why? These aren't bad things. These are really good things, right? But this is the message to Abram. God wants a complete severing of all ties to everything that isn't God. A complete severing of all ties to anything that isn't God. The call is for 100% sacrifice and surrender to God. So again, just don't miss the gravity of this call. Like, if I gave this call to, to a lot of you, you'd be like, yes, I get to go to Europe. Or I get to, you know, like, I get to go to Hawaii. Leaving our families and going somewhere new is exciting to us. But to Abraham, at best, this is a life of constant danger and difficulty. And at worst, it's a death sentence. You leave all of the structure of your nation and your family, and you just wander aimlessly in a foreign land, intense. At any moment in time, a larger uh, group of people can come and take everything you have, destroy you. It is a life of utter vulnerability. And this is, this is what's obvious. God was not asking for the minimum from Abraham. He was asking for everything. Everything. Friends and family he loves, he has to let them go. Wealth and status and significance, he has to let it go. Safety and comfort, let it go. So this is the call of faith. Full surrender to God. To trust your life in his hands. And, and this is what's crazy. God doesn't just... Uh, he doesn't just call Abraham to leave. He, he doesn't even tell Abraham where he's going. The text says, go to the land I will show you. See how vague that is? Just start walking. I'll show you when you need to know. So here we see in this huge call, Abraham at the crossroads of his faith, and God is inviting him, trust me, fully surrender your life to me. If you're familiar with the New Testament, this is very similar to what Jesus does, right? He walks up to people and he goes, follow me. 
Leave your, leave your nets, leave your families, come follow me. Doesn't that sound similar? Jesus says this to crowds that were flocking to him. Whoever does not bear his own cross, i.e. die to themselves, they cannot be my disciple. So here's the first point. Faith in God is not a negotiation. It is a full surrender. It is a full surrender of your life to God. Now that's the call of faith. I'm going to fill out what is faith. That's the call, full surrender to God's will. Skip down to verse 4 with me. What does this look like? Verse 4. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So what does full surrender look like? What does faith look like? Simple, straightforward obedience. Simple, straightforward obedience. The text simply says that Abraham went as God had said. He took his wife, his nephew, the things they had, and he walked out. And that's simple, right? It's simple, but it is so costly, so difficult. How many of us would actually do this? Like not, hey, would you move? We've already answered that. Would you leave everything in your life that gave you safety, status, significance, prosperity? Would you leave all of those things to follow God? The idea of radically surrendering to God is so compelling until you actually need to turn from your idols. Jesus is exciting until he is demanding of your life. Even think about the apostles. Like We're like, hey, I want to I be like the apostles. But are you willing to suffer and die like they did? Genuine faith is full surrender to God. Full surrender to God through simple, straightforward obedience. Abraham doesn't complicate things here. He went as the Lord said. And this is, this is pretty practical. The Christian life, I think, is a series of invitations from God to follow him. Every day, every hour, every minute, God is pressing us through his word in this church, through his spirit, follow me, follow me. Come after me. And I think faith is saying yes over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. When he calls, we say yes. Like, this is, this is my life. You, he wants me to stop sleeping in and start my day listening to his word. Yes, God. You want me to stop binging Netflix or watching endless amounts of sports? Yes, God. You want me to confess my sins to my DNA, even though it's going to humiliate me and I'm going to feel like a failure? Yes, God. Faith says yes to God. It fully surrenders to God with simple, straightforward obedience. Let's keep going in verse 5. When they came to the land of Canaan, 
Abram passed through the land into the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So just a couple details here. The text doesn't say why he started to go to Canaan. A couple chapters before this, we know that Canaan was cursed by Noah. That eventually uh, Noah's other kids, um, Canaan would serve his other kids. So, so maybe Abraham had that idea in his mind. I don't, I don't know. But what happens? When Abram arrived in the land, the Canaanites were already there. Oh, can you imagine? I just like tense up when I read that. You, you leave everything. You go, yes, Lord, I'm going to go. And you start walking, and you're living in tents, and you're lacking all the luxury of before, and you finally get to a land that you might think might be the place, and you show up, and there's an entire nation living there. Oh, what a gut punch. I I think this shows, this is evident right here, that this isn't going to be a one-time occurrence of faith, is it? It's not just walking out the door, it's every step after that. Abram has to walk and wait upon the Lord, day in and day out. What's cool here is that it says that when he gets to Canaan and sees the people there, then God appears and talks. He gets there, so worn out, God appears. and says, no, this is going to be the land. He meets him there, which is such a sweet gift. And I think here, if we say faith is full surrender to God through simple, straightforward obedience, this section adds every single day. Do that every single day. Faith is not just an action at one point in time, but it is a state of the heart always. I'm yours, Lord. I'm going where you're going. I'm saying yes when you call me. The rest of the details here, I think, show two main things. First, Abraham's going to journey from the north side of Canaan all the way down to Negev, which is the south side. So he's going to walk through the whole land. I think he's symbolically kind of claiming or or God is showing him the, the grandness or scope of this promise. And then second, we see Abraham build an altar and worship God multiple times. So you're walking out in faith, and what we see is faith worships along the way, doesn't it? Because God starts doing things. He's teaching him. Abraham knows that the land, he doesn't deserve the land. The land is a gift from God. So when he gets there, he worships. This is my last point on what faith is. Faith is about God, most of all. Faith is about God, most of all. Abraham is not the hero of this story. He knows it. He knows it. At any moment in time, if God leaves him, he's done for. He worships that God never leaves him. God is faithful to him. God is his. He wants God to be worshipped. So faith looks up, not in. Looks up, not in. Okay, so I hope that helps with the first question. What is faith? Faith is fully surrendering your life to God in simple, straightforward obedience every single day. 
And from that heart, on that journey, we worship him, that he never leaves us, that it's worth it, that he's good. I want to ask, I want to move to the second question here. So what compels it? What compels faith? What makes it move? What gets somebody off the couch and on to Canaan? Because uh, I love this stuff, but these big stories, but if you're like me, sometimes they can feel totally like you have, to be the, you have to be Jesus to do this. You have to be a superstar Christian to do this, right? Like for some of us in this room, I know what I'm saying right now is just adding weight to your shoulders. Okay, I got I to gotta do more, right? I know that some of this, what I just said is not good news to some of you. You guys are like, oh, please, stop. But there's fuel here. Let's, I skipped over this, but look back at verse 2 and 3. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, in, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we already saw in verse 1 that there's one call for Abraham, go and follow God. But what do we see right after that? Everything after it is a promise of blessing from God. Look at all the eyes in this text. I will make you a great nation. That is God, not Abraham. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who dishonor you. So what happens here? The fuel for Abram's faith is an astounding hope in the promises of God. Abram wasn't just given a new calling. He was given a new hope. So, so pay attention here. God doesn't just call for obedience. He promises blessing. Blessing. And it's those promises, the promises of God, that fuel the faith of his people. Like, just honestly, do you think Abraham leaves all this stuff if he doesn't think God's promises are true? If God doesn't promise it's worth it, do you think he goes? I think no chance. So, I want to push this a little deeper. Why do the promises of God fuel faith? Like, how does it work? I'm, I'm a big how guy. How does this work? For that, I, I want to look at Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews 11.1 1 with me. This is what it says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There are three elements here, right? Faith, which we've already been talking about. Assurance, which you could say, you could translate that confidence, or it really has this picture of like a stability or structural integrity to it. And hope, which Hebrews says is unseen, right? The conviction of things not seen. Hope is this future vision of good. It's the good out there. And so what we see right here in Hebrews 11 is that hope and faith are different domains. They're different domains. Hope is this future-oriented thing. It's this vision of future good. And faith is the present. Faith is living like hope is true. It's looking ahead and going, that's true. I'm going to keep walking towards it. Does that make sense? A simpler way to say it is just faith lives like hope is true. Faith lives like hope is true. 
So how do the promises of God fuel our faith? The promises of God give us hope. The promises of God give you and I hope. Like go back to Abraham. God promises to bless him and make his name great. Make him a great nation. And that stirs in Abraham the kind of hope that is bigger than his current life. It's bigger than his father's house. It's bigger than his family. It's bigger than his nation. It's a vision of future good that is so compelling, he's willing to fully surrender everything in simple, straightforward obedience. Just a a few verses later here. Listen to Hebrews 11.8. This is what it says. By faith, Abraham, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So this is the New Testament's recalling of the Genesis 12 passage we're in. And then why did Abraham obey and go? This is what it says in verse 10. Because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Why did Abraham surrender everything and follow God? He was looking forward to the city that God was building. He had hope. His hope was not in the things of the earth, but in the promises of God. Like his his vision of the good life, his hope was no longer found in his nation. It was found in God's nation, God's kingdom. It was no longer in, in the city that his family was building, but in the city God was building. A few verses later in, in Hebrews 11, verses 15 and 16, it says this about Sarah and Abraham. This is awesome. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What an amazing word. Man, I just want this so badly to be said of me and and my family when I die. They longed for the heavenly city. That's what defined them. They had a bigger hope than this life, and they lived for it. Hebrews is showing us here what? What fueled great faith in Abraham was a hope bigger than this life. So this is kind of how it works here. This is the how. God promises a better country, a heavenly city to Abraham. It's that promise that gives Abraham a greater hope. And that hope fuels full surrender to God in simple, straightforward obedience. You see how that works? I want to I talk about us for a second. Because this is the Christian life. What is your hope today? What is your future vision of the good life? And don't, don't just give me the quick Christian answer. Don't, don't, don't let your head just like fill in the blank with, your, with the Christian uh, message here. I want, you to, I want you to search your heart for a second. What do you actually think is going to make you happy in the future? 
Maybe another way to seek that out. What, what do you put your time into? What do you put your money into? You're using your resources to pursue your hope. I'm sure of that. And listen, does it even include Jesus? Does your vision of the future good life even include Jesus? Is it the better country, the heavenly city? Or is it all the pleasures the earth can muster? We naturally are tempted every day to hope in the world, aren't we? Advertising is an is a effective thing. We're constantly told that something down here, in the Old Testament they would say, images carved out of wood and stone. In the New Testament we would say, manufactured like iPhones and clothes, and, right? Things we're making, these are things we're making that we think will finally give us happiness. What is your hope? Because this is the truth. You have hope. I have hope. And it may not be Christian hope. But you have a vision for what will make you happy and you are going to pursue it. You're going to put your faith in it. But this is why we're here today. This is why we're here today. There is only one, notice how many fingers I have up right now, one hope worth committing your life to, church. There is only one hope that will not be left behind on this, this earth. In the Bible, we find a hope of endless joy, endless eternal joy that can, will never end. No sickness, no suffering, no evil or atrocity will ever end it. This is, this is crazy. Abraham had a hope of an eternal blessing. And we know his name. We know his name. His name is Jesus. The eternal blessing is in Jesus. He left his family. He left his father's house. He left his kingdom. And he came to earth as the perfect son of God, didn't he? He's the better Abraham, isn't he? He left a life of royalty for a life of simplicity, a life of comfort for constant pain. And he gave us the greatest hope the universe will ever know. He lived perfectly in every way you cannot. Every way you and I don't live right, he lived perfectly. He was holy and righteous and good. No evil ever. And yet, this is just, this is the gospel. He let the people he was pursuing in love penalize him unto death. The hands that he created and he gave to them were used to pierce the creator's hands. The tree that he created from seed, he let be where they hang him on a cross. And his death on the cross, this is the Christian faith, Jesus' death on the cross is our greatest hope. 
Because in his death, the righteous wrath of God is satisfied. The wrath you deserve, the wrath I deserve, this is, not, this is not just a simple, basic Christianity. This is the heart of everything we do as a church. This cross. He took our sins on his shoulders and the wrath that we deserved. Corinthians says that he knew no sin and yet became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We walk in guilty and we walk out blameless because of the cross. And this hope right now, I don't need to know your story. I know the hope is offered to you right now. Whether you've never trusted in Jesus or you've been trusting him your whole life, Put your hope in him. For the first time, for the millionth time, hope in Christ. And let that kind of hope fuel faith. Fuel full surrender. Fuel simple, straightforward obedience to God every single day. Faith is that first principle of the Christian life. And it's not magic. It's a choice. Follow him. Give your life to him. Leave behind everything else. When he calls you in his word, by his spirit, in this church, say yes to him. Every time, say yes to him. Don't let no come across your mind. Just throw it out. Yes, God. in the very ordinary things that you're going to face when you leave here and the extraordinary things that you're going to face over the course of your life, say yes to him. I think the Christian life is God constantly inviting you to follow him. And the people that say yes over and over and over again, God uses in amazing ways. He changes the world through these people. And for you and I, it is so easy to say yes, 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 no. Isn't it? He starts to press on something that you thought he'd never press on. There's a door in your heart that you locked a long time ago and you don't want anybody opening it. There's an old master that demands an allegiance that you don't think you can give up. And I'm just begging you, Say yes. Give it to him. Turn from it. Bow down and say yes to the king of the universe because of the hope of Jesus. Because you will not be turned away at his door, church. The faithful, faithful will not arrive at heaven's gates and be turned away ever. You trust in this son of God and you will be with him forever in paradise. That's the heavenly city. Long for it. Oh, long for it. Lord, create a longing in us. In a minute, the band's going to come up and play some music here. And I just want to ask you, we'll play some quiet music for a second. I just want to ask you to do business with the Lord. Because if you're like me, there are times where you're sitting in a message like this and something's in your head that you keep pushing out that you know God wants you to turn from and you're just trying to dodge it. 
And I just, I beg you to surrender it. Take this time and give it to the Lord. What does he specifically want you to let go of, to turn from, to give him? Is it a relationship? Is it priorities? Is it pornography? Is it greed? Turn from it and give it to him. Say yes to him. That's the first thing I want you to do is just surrender your heart to him. And the second thing I want you to do, take this time to think about how you can build a habit of daily being with the Father. You need it, church. I need it. You need the promises of God. Where are they found? Where do you find the promises of God? You're going to need them to walk this road of faith. They're in his word. You don't have to just stare up in the sky and go, what am I supposed to do? We have a book. Open it. There's one in the pew. If you don't have a Bible, grab it. Just take it. It's our gift. Search that thing. Wear it out. Find hope that you can build your life on. It's there. It's Jesus. Some of, some of us are just, we're walking the life of faith without the promises of God. Good luck. We need, this is why the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching together. They sat over this and go, stoke my hope. I need it to follow you. It's hard. It's hard. I need to every day. Every day I wake up and I have to go, God, what is my hope? Where, where is the eternal city? I've lost sight of it again. Sometimes it's every hour I got to just slow down. Lord, what is my hope here? So I just challenge you in this time to not just say, yes, I want to spend time with the Father, but figure out a time and a place. Commit to it. Tell your DNA about it when you leave here. Guys, I need to do this. I haven't been doing it. I haven't been looking at the promises of God. My hope is weak. It's worldly. It's got all these tentacles of the cares of the world in it. And ask them to encourage you and fight with you. Abraham right now is with the Lord. Didn't matter what happened to him in this journey. He's with the Lord. No more tears all the good that we could ever imagine and more with our creator. So I'd invite you to walk faith out, to fully surrender your life to God for the first time or the hundredth time in simple, straightforward obedience every single day. Let's pray. Lord, I I do ask, God, that, that you would do a work here. You pour your grace out here. It's so hard to to trust you. It's so hard to to give our lives to you. And yet it's so worth it. Every other hope will let us down. I pray that it would let us down here and not at the end. We We would taste how sour it is now and not later. Fix our eyes onto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who gave his life for our sins, Lord, that no matter what our story is, we are forgiven when we trust in Jesus. We do not create our hope. Jesus does. We trust you in it. Don't let us leave here unchanged, Lord. Don't let us leave here without surrendering all of our life to you. I ask this in your wonderful and awesome name. Amen.